Our scripture passage for today is in John chapter 20, verses 18 through 23. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn and follow along as I read aloud from God's Word. John 20, 18, verse 18, in essence being a pickup verse from uh, last week's passage, but following into this passage. Mary of Magdala went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. <clears throat> On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. <clears throat> After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this declaration and blessing of peace as you poured out upon your disciples in that room. And for the true message which that remains throughout the generations. For the glory of your appearance among them. For the proof of your resurrection from the dead. Your victory over sin and death and the devil. We thank you that that victory is not a temporary thing, but instead is a victory for eternity. Under which victory we stand in the shadow. We give you thanks for your victory, and we rejoice in it, because it is through your victory that we might also be saved from the power of sin and death and the devil. I ask that my words would be faithful and in keeping with your word, which alone is holy and just and true, having the power to change human hearts for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is Reformation Sunday. It's also the day marked on the calendar as Halloween. As we consider what Halloween is, I think we are able to gain somewhat of an insight into the events of this passage. Because Halloween has historically been a time when people are... Um, the emphasis, in many respects, is on fear and in, on scary sorts of things. The music that is produced for Halloween is supposed to be spine-tiggling. Many of the costumes, even more so nowadays than in previous years, are supposed to be frightening. So, so as we consider the emphasis of this day, it gives us a little bit of insight into our passage. Because we are at a point in our passage where the transition is made from overwhelming fear to overwhelming joy and peace. Through this passage, through the declaration of Christ in this passage, through the proof of his resurrection in this passage, the fear is dispelled 
The reason for being behind locked doors is removed. And the disciples replace the horrors and terrors that beset them from all sides with the joy and peace of the resurrected Christ. Now, as this is Reformation Sunday, we also recognize the boldness of one who knew the truth of this passage in his own personal life. And we'll get to that a little bit later. As Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther instead, made 95 declarations And instead of locking himself inside a room to avoid the terrors of the very real fact that he was going against a monolithic force in the person of the church of his day, went out and nailed those statements, those declarations, those theses, very publicly on the door of a church for all to read. So the question of which side the door you are standing is a very significant one as we look at our passage today. We find the disciples overwhelmed with fears and terrors inside a locked room. Doors barred, perhaps barricaded, because they have very real fears. This passage is interesting in a way in a a measure like the passage from last week was interesting. If you remember, and we're here this past Sunday as I preached on Mary Magdalene and her, her meeting with Christ, you will remember that I pointed out that the angels asked her a question, which was, what are you doing? Who are you looking for? And when she responded, there was no other response on their part. Absent from their conversation with Mary was that frequent phrase that we find in the Gospels. And at any time, the angels or any uh, theophany appearance of God as man among men happened to human beings, which was the expression, fear not, do not be afraid. Because the presence of the power of the Almighty God, whether it's in reflected form as in the angels or in a theophany, which is an appearance of God in, as in human flesh. This is something that strikes fear and terror into the hearts of mankind. And yet the angels made no comment other than asking Mary a question. And they did not say to her, fear not. And you find completely absent from that passage there and, and Christ's meeting with Mary, any reference whatsoever to fear. And yet now we move on to this passage, and we find a very real fear in the hearts of the disciples. And what does it say they are afraid of? They are afraid of the Jews. Why are they afraid of the Jews? Because regardless of whether or not Christ is alive, as Mary has just reported to them, they are on the losing side of a battle against Jewish religious power and the Roman government's very real power as it is represented in the form and person of Pilate. They are the followers of this Jesus 
whom Pilate agreed to have crucified, who was crucified, who died, and who was buried. And to be the followers of that one would immediately put them at risk. For as far as they knew, the Jewish leaders at that very moment might have been themselves sitting behind locked doors, not for fear, but out of a desire to do things well and secretly, plotting how to convince the Roman governor that since he had killed this Jesus, that there would be greater peace in his realm if he were to go ahead and round up the followers of this Jesus and have them imprisoned or executed as well. It didn't much matter whether Jesus was alive or not. They still were tainted by the brand of association with one who was crucified and therefore, ipso facto, because of the fact that he had been crucified, guilty in the eyes of the Roman government. And so these disciples were extremely vulnerable. Vulnerable to the plots of the Jews, vulnerable to the workings of the Roman government, and they hid behind closed doors. Now as we come into this passage, we find something extraordinary missing from this account. Even as something extraordinary was missing from the previous account, Mary Magdalene's meeting with the angels. What is missing from this account is mentioned in a number of the other accounts where Jesus appeared to his disciples or in other cases. What is missing in this account is those words that were missing from the angels to Mary. Fear not. Various occasions where Christ appeared to his disciples, his comment to them again was, Fear not, because they were startled. Because fear had overtaken them. And not just the fear of being suddenly interrupted by something that you had not expected. Because there are various words for fear. And the one that is expressed in this passage and in other passages in Greek is the word that we use for a phobia. A phobia is not a transitory thing. It does not pass away. Suddenly, like that, I'm afraid, and then, oh, it's okay. It's just you. (laughs) A phobia is something that takes a hold of your soul. And it shakes you like a rag doll. Because it has a grip over you that is akin to terror. So beginning this passage in this way, with the disciples in this condition, in this place, behind locked doors... It seems incomprehensible and impossible for us to go from this point to a point where they would be anything other than afraid. And yet in this passage, Christ does not say to them, fear not. Why does John not tell us that Christ said, fear not? Why perhaps did Jesus not say, fear not, to his disciples upon meeting them at this occasion? What does he say instead? Instead, he says to them, peace be with you. Why? I would suggest that there is a very great difference between fear not and peace be with you. 
you remember the account in Luke chapter 2 when the angel and then the multitude of angels came upon the shepherds? The angel came upon the shepherds to tell them of the birth of the child in Bethlehem. And he said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day. And then he went on from there. So the beginning of the message was a message to remove, to dispel that reaction, which is the normal human reaction to those things that are the terrors of life for us. Certainly an angel appearing in in our midst with the glory of God with him would cause great fear and terror in our hearts. Cause us to tremble and shake, which is another aspect of fear, the physical weakness. The end of that account is where the angel was joined with a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill toward men. It begins with the removal of fear. It ends with the declaration of peace. There is a great difference between creating a vacuum and removing what is bad and filling the vacuum with what is good. This is what Christ is doing with his disciples in this passage. Even as he poured out the Holy Spirit on them in a preliminary way prior to the filling of them with the Holy Spirit, which is accounted for in Acts chapter 2, he is giving them a gift, a gracious gift. I was thinking about this passage in the context of the benediction which I so frequently use on Sundays. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord... uh, And I'm going to forget it now because I'm not giving the benediction. Uh, Turn his face towards you. Lift up his countenance on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and what? Give you his peace. Are you satisfied with the removal of fear? It's nice not to be afraid, right? But isn't it better to be filled with something? than to have the things you don't want taken away? Isn't it better to be filled with a blessing? Isn't it better to be fed a delicious meal rather than to be told you don't have to eat the things you don't like? You prefer that? I can't think of anything I don't like. But say someone were to sit down in front of me, a sunny-side-up egg and a bowl full of peas and lima beans. Peas don't make the list these days, but but say lima beans and sunny-side-up eggs, okay? And were to say to me, oh, by the way, this is your dinner. Thank you. (laughs) You don't have to eat that. Thank you. (laughs) Come over to this table over here. And then on that table over there is a whole spread of all the things I like. Which would you rather have? You don't have to eat that? Or come over here and see what I have for you. Top it off right in the center. Phase dessert. (laughs) 
right? Christ's victory is not simply the vacuum which is created by the removal of terror. Instead, it is a filling with the joys and the blessings that he alone can offer. Do we realize this? As people who profess an interest in Christ, as people who perhaps are believers in Jesus Christ as our Savior, do we have a comprehension of what was at the root of this fear and how Christ's declaration of peace to these disciples could actually dispel that fear and replace it with something that made them the bold witnesses which even the religious leaders exclaimed about as we read in the book of Acts following the early church history. Religious leaders saw that John and Peter and the others were unafraid and they marveled. And as well they should have. How could these men who so previously had been so greatly frightened and with good cause because they were afraid their lives would be next? And suddenly the fear is not only gone, they're not just slinking off into the woodwork, so to speak. They're not quietly leaving town, but instead they're getting up in front of the public and saying, we have news for you. In the same context, in the same places where Jesus had declared the message. The same message, without fear, but instead, when they're confronted and told, we're going to beat you or worse, if you continue to declare this message, these men said, you decide, is it right for us to obey you or God? Now, how do you get from here to there? You don't get from here to there by the removal of fear. You get from here to there by the imposition of peace upon your life. What does our world see the definition of peace as including it was a sorry state of affairs this past summer when we saw what the ultimate result of the peace reputation which was attached through the 20 to 30 years ago to the northern New York Woodstock celebration revealed that the fruit of that peace movement brought about not peace, but instead violence, and vandalism, and various and sundry other things that we saw happening at the Woodstock celebration this year. And yet when man declares something is peace and says, hey, peace man, you have to say, what does peace mean? Does it mean simply, hey, you do what you please and I'll do what I please and we're all cool? That's what we mean as human beings when we talk about peace. But the peace that is from above is not like the peace that comes among humankind, that we declare to one another. Because peace to us just means, let me have my space. That's what I want. I'll do anything for that neutral barrier around me so that I can do what I please. As we read in the unison reading this morning, 
The peace that Christ gives and promises is not like the peace of the world. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give this peace to you. It is not a peace as of the world's peace. What is it peace from? Does Christ's arrival immediately remove from them the fear of the Jews? Huh? No, no, N- not at all. Because we see that as a result of Christ's resurrection, in reality, the apostles, with perhaps the exception of John, the author here, were all martyred. So, was there a reason for the removal of fear? Their fear of the Jews? No, no, it was still a very real thing. The threat of execution. (coughs) Violence to their persons. The removal of fear had nothing to do with fear of the Jews. Then if the peace did not include deliverance from hostility at the hands of the Jews, what sort of deliverance did it offer? It offered the deliverance that is declared <clears throat> in verses in verse twenty-three, where Christ says to his to those gathered in that room, which was certainly more than the apostles, the the eleven who were remaining, Judas Iscariot having killed himself. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the essence and the root of the peace that Christ offered to his followers in that room. This is the essence of the message that his resurrection declares. This is the essence of the message of the removal of fear. What is it? That regardless of what the Jews do to you, all they are able to do is kill you. And then the judgment. And so as Christ says in another gospel, do not be afraid, and I'm going to paraphrase here, do not be afraid of those who can harm the body, but instead be afraid of him who can throw you into the fiery pit of hell. In other words, fear God. Because whatever happens to you here on this earth, it may be as terrible as your execution. Yet beyond that is a terror much greater, which is for eternity, if you have not made peace with God. What is Christ's message then of peace to his apostles? The message is this. By his appearance in that room... By his showing them his hands and his side, he's proving to them beyond a doubt. These are not light wounds. These are not wounds that this Jesus could have been someone else than the one who was crucified on the cross. The Roman soldiers were not so inexperienced that they would stab a man in the side and do it in such a way that they wouldn't succeed in killing him. The wound in the side was one that was designed to put the quietus to finish a life, any remaining life in the one hanging on the cross. 
And so by Christ's appearance among them, and his showing them his hands and his side, he is declaring he has accomplished victory. The price has been paid. The sacrifice is perfect. The fact that he is alive is the proof that sins are forgiven through him. What does this mean? It means that the terrors of this life are no longer sufficient to terrorize those who are followers of Christ. It means that those locked doors do not need to be locked any longer for fear of what others might do to those who follow Christ. Because they can do their worst, and yet there is eternal life waiting for those who are followers of Christ. You and I, who have heard this message, and who believe that indeed Christ did arise from the dead, and by his resurrection declare that he had paid the price for the forgiveness of sins, are no longer held by locked doors. We are no longer held by fear. And yet we live in such a culture where the reality of this message does not bear down on us very often or very strongly. Yet we hear messages from around the world where people are frequently living with the reality of this truth. We do not, as followers of Christ, need to fear what men can do to us because we have peace with the one with whom, if we were at war, life could never be pleasant and eternity would be full of terrors. You and I must declare this message to those around us We must declare it because we are people who are free of fear. We must declare it because we are people who are at peace with God. And because we are at peace with God, we are people who are to declare reconciliation to those around us. Do our family members know peace with us because we are at peace with God? Do they know warfare or struggle in our relationships? Are we declaring the peace of Christ? Are we simply saying there are things you do not need to fear? This is the message of Christ. We are not only not to do things. We are to be a blessing to the world around us. And the peace of Christ fills us for that purpose. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we give thanks for your resurrection. For the proof that your resurrection gives that your death was successful in paying the price for forgiveness of sins. We pray that we might find peace in you, that peace with passes, which passes all understanding, a peace that causes us to look at things in this world as though they have very little significance because we are anticipating a world in which there will be no sorrow and no tears and no sin. We are anticipating eternal life. We pray that you would take away our fears because you have taken away our sins. And we pray that you would replace our fear with peace in you. It would cause us to be bold and godly ambassadors, regardless of the trouble or difficulty or persecution that might come our way. Cause us to do this in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at the workplace, in our schools. 
to be bold, even as the disciples became bold ambassadors for Christ because of the victory of Christ over sin and death and the devil. We ask you to work this in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.